With the resurgence of COVID-19 in Singapore, the discussion about mandates for vaccines is now more relevant than ever before. On this episode of the YouthCast podcast, I'm going to be talking to Mr. Nick Olchin, who's the head of campus at UWC Southeast Asia East, a school that caters to over 4,000 students from all across the world. Together, we're going to be talking about the implications of a vaccine mandate in school, whether he as an administrator would be considering such a move in the future, and what he thinks the future for mandates of vaccines will be. Welcome, Mr. Olchin, to the podcast. We're really glad that we have you here. Um, I guess my first question to you today is, would you as a school, and I'm talking to you as a representative of the school, um, would you consider imposing a vaccine mandate for students above the age of 12? Now, obviously, that doesn't mean the day students turn 12, they would have a vaccine. They would have to get the vaccine. There would be obviously some buffer period implemented, uh, maybe six months, maybe one year. But would you, as a school administrator, ever consider that for UWC? Thank you. So that's a great question. So look, the, at one level, the answer is simple. Yes, we will consider it. Whether or not we would actually go ahead and do it is a difficult matter. You know, I'm, the reason you're asking me from a politics podcast is because you can see all the political angle on this. So, you know, the question really comes down to what rights does an organisation have and what rights do individuals have? And when those conflict, what, what should take priority? That exists, of course, in the, in the um, context of what is uh, a high emotion time with some of the statistics that you read nationally being quite scary. And I think in the early days of the pandemic, I think the government was very keen to say how scary this was. Now they're trying to say it's not so scary, but the genie's out of the bottle. People are afraid. So we're doing it in a context where parents are extremely worried about their children in some cases. Um, and that's got to be taken into account. So different families have different attitudes to risk and different cultures tend to either take a communal or an individual point of view. So there's a whole range of factors in there that we have to take into account of. Another factor around that, another sort of context is just the data. So while we respect and understand that everybody can have their attitude to risk, it does seem that some people aren't aware of what the actual facts are in terms of the risks of vaccination or the risk of not being vaccinated and where the risks fall, how in fact they fall to different parts of the population. All that is to say, yes, we would consider it, but given those various factors that I've talked about, there's no immediate answer to say, well, the answer is obviously this. Well, I would maybe argue that, yes, there is a very clear answer that it needs to be done and it needs to be done as soon as possible. Um, so my rationale, and I'm playing devil's advocate yeah, here, it, like, my rationale would be, one, it's not like the school doesn't have vaccine mandates, I would say, for other vaccinations as well. When I was entering the school, I had to sign in health declaration, submit health declaration forms saying I got vaccinated for tetanus, rubella, measles, all the other stuff, right? So obviously, it's not exactly a new concept. Um, I would go as far as to say that other countries in the world are doing this already. Um, LA school district announced that obviously that's 160,000 kids going to school there. Um, they announced that they're going to have vaccine mandates for students above 12. Um, so obviously it's not exactly a new idea. You wouldn't be setting a precedent. You could be following other established roadmaps. And then I think just the fact that like as a campus, we do a really good job to make sure things are secure within the campus itself. We have an amazing security team. I'm sure you spend well over a million dollars just keeping the school safe. And that's in a country as safe as Singapore as it is, right? Um, I can't imagine if we were in America or something like that. Um, so given the fact that we're doing everything we can to keep the school safe in a country like Singapore, where it isn't very likely that we're ever going to be attacked by anyone, 
this is definitely going to attack us. This doesn't care if we're expats. This doesn't care if we're locals. Um, do you not think the school has a moral obligation to keep its students safe? Do you think, not think that the school should be doing everything in its power? And I'm sure that a vaccine mandate would help that for sure. Okay, it's a great question. I mean, so really what you're saying is trying, you're saying look at the data. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, you're, in one sense you're right. And, you know, and, and what I'm going to do here is, you know, is, is, is slightly dodge the question in a way, which you, you can come back to me afterwards. <laughs> but so another way of looking at it is that what we, if you talk about keeping students safe, what we know is that when people of student age get the vax, get the, um, get the infection, it's a... Uh, sorry, let me, let, me, let me retract. Let me go back. I'll, I'll make a different point. My point there is it may be the case that the a vaccine mandate would make um, students safer. It's also the case that it's not obvious to what extent the schools have the right to do that. So I, I would just question, and I don't know the answer to this, whether we have a legal mandate to require you to take a vaccine which isn't required by the Singapore government. The reason that we check up your m measles, mumps, is because the government requires us to do so. If I asked you to get an injection against, let's just say flu, which kills thousands of people a year, I don't know how people would feel if I just started suddenly making medical decisions. If we, the college, who is not a hospital, not governed by the MOH, and not governed by the National Institutes for Clinical Excellence or anything, if we started saying you have to take these medicines, I think you would rightly say, hang on a minute, why are you doing that when no one else in Singapore is doing that? And I, I think that's a legitimate question. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so for me, I would, I would query. I would also say that Okay, you may be right that overall, let's just let's go with it. And I, personally, not speaking for the school, personally, I tend to believe you're right. It would lower the risk. My point is, that I think the risk is pretty darn low anyway. And to lower it further might not be a bad thing, but it could be the case, and I, I believe this is the case, that there may be, in some cases, some adverse reactions to the vaccine. There may be a good reason why some people would have the reaction. I don't know enough medicine. So it could be that what you'd be doing is getting 5,599 people vaccinated and increasing their safety, and one person would have an adverse reaction. Now, that might be a trade-off worth making, but it's not an obvious trade-off that the school should be taking. There's a political decision there, which, you know, if I was a doctor, I might say that the first rule of medicine is do no harm. So even if you benefit some people, you shouldn't be harming others. Another context, just to be again, devil's advocate, I think parents might rightly say, no, it's my choice as to who to vaccinate until it's mandated by the government. When the government mandates it, okay, I'm in a society, that's the social contract. You, you lose some freedoms, you gain others, okay? I have to do what the government says. But I, I don't know to what extent the school can mandate any medical, any medical thing. Let me give you an, an example, a, a parallel example. There are times when we believe a student should have counselling. So we say to parents, this student should have, have counselling. The parents may disagree with us. So do we have the right to force that? Or is that the parents' right? I see, I see. Um, so obviously you brought up the entire idea of like how a mandate may not necessarily be legal and it may not even may like disobey certain international human rights norms, right? Um, and I think that's kind of the same dilemma the Singaporean government is facing when it comes to imposing a vaccine mandate because they're, I wouldn't go as far as to call them a strict government, but they're rigid around certain rules, um, right? Um, and they still haven't gone as far as to impose a okay, full no, vaccine mandate. I, 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 I think that's different. I think the government is entirely within its rights to man, do, a, do a, man, a mandate. That's what governments do. They can pass a law. And I, I don't think the Singapore government would hesitate to do it. 
on risk grounds. Yeah. They're hesitating on political grounds. Yeah, so like, I'm getting to my point here, oh, sorry, is that, sorry. yeah, um, that the government, what they've done right now is, although they haven't technically imposed a mandate, I would go as far as to say they're taking certain steps towards making it very tough to live without a vaccine, right? So even if you look at our contact tracing app, Trace Together, it's not legally required, but if you want to enter a mall, you want to enter a grocery store, you're going to need it. Sure, you can live in your house in seclusion. Is that really how you want to live life? Even for vaccines, if you're not vaccinated, you can't go out in groups of more than a certain size, right? So obviously there are restrictions in place. And when I see the school, I see them doing something similar. So recently the schools asked for vaccine information, vaccine data from their students, right? Um, and although I don't think a list in itself is harmful, I think the potential of what a list could lead to, the discrimination it might lead to, is rather more harmful. Like just drawing a parallel here. So yeah, in, in India, right. absolutely right. Um, in India, um, they have something called the NRIC, which is the National Registry of Citizens. And while it seems great that it might help stop illegal population, the problem is what is the government going to do with that National Registry of Citizens? Are they going to blacklist people from certain communities, certain minority groups? That's why there's a lot of opposition. It's not the idea of the list, but it's the implications of what the list does. Um, Correct. So I think as a school, would it be right to say that you guys are moving towards the situation where um, although it's not outright illegal, it's going to be tough for students who aren't vaccinated. And do you think there are risks about having vaccine data of students? So, okay, that's a great question. Thank you. And, and the answer is, is all that those are all good factors. The answer is yes, I think, to what you said there. So we are moving toward that position because already we are allowed to do certain things with students who are vaccinated that we can't do with students who are unvaccinated. So, you know, so, so um, musical rules for musical instruments, things like that dance uh, performances there are different rules for the vaccination and non-vaccination now you can have whatever view you want on that those aren't our rules those are the government rules and we get long lists of rules from the government pretty well every every week or whatever anyway we're, we're up to we're up to regulation 48 from the council of private uh, committee of private schools private education so so we, we need to know when students are vaccinated or not or we say okay we can't do anything so for example if i take let's take jazz band as one example if there is one student in there who's unvaccinated we can't run the whole thing. Now, if it turns out that everyone in jazz band's vaccinated, great, they can just go ahead. But we need to know because we're breaking the law if we go ahead when they're not. So we need to collect that data. Now, what we've done is we've, we've got around it in the past because we've just collected it for those, for those activities where we need to know. But the direction we seem to be heading in, I think you said it, is that we'll need to know for more and more things. So we thought as a school, what's a responsible measure for us? is to just get the information so that we can use it and we don't have to keep asking you every time we want to join jazz band or rugby club or whatever it is. Now, that's, that's, that's not just, um, there's, for me, there's no moral argument there because it is the law of the land. So you follow the law of the land because you're a good citizen. So that's an easy one for me. Your question about what we do with that information and could it be misused? I think that's an excellent question. Um, and we have had some rather strenuous, strongly worded emails from parents Usually, just interestingly, so far, to my knowledge, always European parents who are coming from a very individualistic culture. So far, and again, I could be just, you know, just could be chance, I haven't read any such requests from Asian parents who tend to be more from a more communal culture. So I think that political view really depends on the sort of environment that you're used to. But I recognise that there is a danger of us collecting information that could be used for nefarious purposes. So my question to you is twofold. No, not, okay, my, my, I've got one statement and one question. My first question is, we hold so much information about students, which is highly sensitive. 
we've got, you know, in many cases we've got family data, mental health data, um, financial data, attainment data, counselling data. I mean, we have so much stuff. We guard it very, very closely. <clears throat> we've put a, I mean, you talk about <coughs> resources about keeping the community safe. We put a lot of resources into keeping our data safe for obvious reasons. It's very sensitive. So for me, this is one more piece of information that goes in that bucket. I actually don't think, even if that data around COVID were to get out, honestly, my belief, I could be wrong, is that students wouldn't discriminate against each other. I think there's far more sensitive stuff in our files that students might discriminate against each other if they knew it. But it's never going to get out because we're going to guard it very carefully. So there's that. Um, And furthermore, okay, so that's the leakage part. The other point is, and I think, I hope, the school community can look at us and say, do I trust these people? Is Nick suddenly going to say, unvaccinated, you're going to have to wear a black armband? Someone accused me of that. They said, are you going to make people wear different clothes if they're unvaccinated? I mean, I don't know, who, I don't know what anybody thinks we are in this. I mean, yeah, that reminds me of like Holocaust yeah, when they were made yeah, to wear different well, clothes. I think, yeah. that, I think that was the implication that this teacher was trying to make. Oh, sorry, it wasn't a teacher, actually. Um, that this person was trying to make. What, why, how are you going to discriminate? And they were just, we're not. <laughs> of course we're not. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? We're not doing this because we want to. We don't want to be in a global pandemic. But it, is, it behoves us morally and legally to obey the law of the land. And it behoves us as a responsible organisation to collect the data that will allow us to operate as a school so that if the laws change, it's not going to take us two weeks to catch up during which we might have to go to home-based learning. Yeah. So we're ready to go when we go. So we're being proactive so that when we need to, if we need to, we'll be ready to do it. If we, if we don't get told any more distinctions, fantastic. But, I mean, surely you want us to plan ahead. Yeah, and I think what's sad about this in general is that this may be inherently discriminatory towards students who may not necessarily even have faults of their own. So like, as we know, um, for private school students in Singapore, you need to get parent approval to get vaccinated. And for, like you said, if certain people have hesitancies, um, their kids can't do anything about it unless they want to go out to forge their parent's signature. That's right. Um, so it very much is in the parent's hand. And, um, and, but I think that's a really important point because, you know, you're, and, and, and that's right. So it's not, well, okay, what am I trying to say here? I mean, it should be in the parent's hand. Like medical issues, until you're 18, are in the parents' hands. I don't give my, I don't delegate medical issues to my kids to decide. <laughs> I mean, I'll discuss it with them, but it is the parents to decide. I, and I think that's right. It should be that. And I mean, I may, I may personally disagree with what some parents think about what that should look like, but I absolutely respect that it is their decision. And I don't want to tread on their toes on that. I don't see that's my job as the head of school. It makes sense. And then this kind of just brings me to my final question, right? And I think at its core, UWC is a school about diversity, full stop, right? Um, and now, while I typically see this manifested as racial, geographic, ethnic diversity, um, ideally, I think this diversity should extend beyond just these factors into things like intellectual diversity, diversity of opinion, thoughts, beliefs, right? Um, and this is going to sound like a TOK question, and I know you do a lot of TOK, so you're probably going to love this, but is to what extent um, should we as UWC, a community that thrives on diversity how should we be accepting of may, maybe intolerant ideas or maybe <laughs> ideas that we don't necessarily agree with or think are foolish yeah that's a great idea so just funny i mean, I, I read a lot about this i think a lot about this so here's a book for example i've got at the moment it's about the, the the value of diverse thinking so okay so what you're asking at root here is 
is a fundamental question about about the tensions of diversity and organizational purpose so let me let me just step back and talk around it and maybe if i don't answer your question precisely come back to me when you look at when you look at an organization with a mission and with values there is a sense in which you obviously want people to be there who believe in the values. I mean, if you didn't, if none of us, if I didn't believe in the mission of the school for peace and sustainable future, why would I be leaving it, leading it? That doesn't make any sense. At the same time, for a school, you recognise that you're trying to educate. So, if you brought everybody in who believes it already, where's your room for education? What's your value add in terms of your mission? I, I, I don't see it. Yeah, makes sense. So. What you need is enough people that really buy into and believe the mission, that, that sustain the culture, that, that run the activities, that create the policies, that inspire people. But you also need to bring in people who think differently. And those people, you hope, will be inspired and persuaded because those of us who've been here a long time, I joined in 1995, um, we believe that's why we're here, we believe it. I hope that our beliefs are well-founded and articulated well enough that the people that we come into contact with think, yeah, that, that makes sense. I can, I can believe this. So do you think you have to draw a line where certain opinions may be a little too extreme to fit into that? So like, obviously, if I like Taylor Swift more than Katy Perry, that shouldn't really be a problem. Or if I like monetary policy over like neoclassical policy, that may not necessarily be a problem. But when we're talking about something as sensitive as vaccines, which... And I, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't, I would say this is not an individual decision when your decision could potentially affect the lives of others, even if they are vaccinated. So do you think they, we need to draw a line before okay. that? So, okay, yeah, so I, okay, so let me, let me keep, so, so there are some that there are, so in general, we need to bring people in with diverse opinions. Now that said, let me give you an example. Uh, if I go back a few years, I can think of a case in high school where a boy was um, engaged in what I think probably were, certainly, perceived as homophobic actions. They're completely against our values, right? Completely against our values. And, disrupt, and destructive to the, to, the, um, to the LGBT community in our, in our, you know, they felt attacked. There was quite a lot of pressure to, to expel this boy. And I understand that, I understand that. You know, and it was, you know, quite, quite a case. But we didn't, because we said, okay, let's suppose we expel him. So he'll go to another school down the road at some point. Has he changed? No, he'll be a homophobe there. If he is a homophobe, he'll be a homophobe there. He'll do the same thing, probably. I mean, have we have we changed the world for the better by exposing him? Okay, we may have, we may have made the people here feel feel safe, and that's important. I don't neglect that. For this boy, he stayed, and in two years' time, he crossed the stage and graduated. He said, he said, I learned something staying here, and I think he changed. Now, I think in the long term, we've done better for the community to have someone who doesn't agree with us in our community. If he didn't, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of smoke and mirrors around these things. And to hopefully he was persuaded by our humanity and our ideas. Now, at the same time, we have to protect the people who felt threatened. So I think we handled it well, I think, I hope. And, 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 and that's the principle there. Now, the vaccine case, to extend to that. So if we have someone here who's an anti-vaxxer, let's just say, I would believe and I would argue that there's no real science behind the anti-vax, no substantial science, although... OK, let's leave it there then. I don't think it's as crackpot as it's made out to be, but I, I do think in general it's not right. Um, I would absolutely tolerate that in school because I believe once you say, Nick, what you need to do is you need to expel someone or not let in people who don't agree with you, then we cease to be a liberal education, we become a cult. 
So, for example, I would argue, okay, um, I'll give you my, my own political view here, I would argue that the values of Donald Trump are not aligned with the values of our school in, in many ways. But I would defend and I would encourage us to be allowing staff and students of that persuasion in. Not in vast numbers, I don't want to be overrun, we have our values, but we have to be strong enough to challenge it and we have to be able to have that conversation. Uh, and I know we have people now. It, I'm just to broaden out from your topic, your question. I'm really sad that I hear frequently. No, not that frequently. I hear from time to time that conservative students in the school don't feel they have a voice. I think that's I think that's a terrible thing. I mean, I may disagree with them on any number of policy issues, but I would defend their right to believe it. And I think our, our students and our staff and our parents and our community is ill served if those people are shut down. So if they are, and I'll use the word advisedly here, you know, if they are cancelled, if they don't feel they have a voice, if as soon as they, 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 they speak, people just say, you're against our values, you shouldn't be here, or anything like that, that's wrong. They should be saying, okay, no, I don't believe, I don't, I don't agree with you, because I think your, you know, your, your, your fundamental value is one of competition, and I believe in cooperation, or your, the evidence shows that actually trickle-down economics doesn't work. Well, you know, let's have a discussion about the issue. Let's not say, you shouldn't be here, you shouldn't say that. That's shoot, shooting the messenger. It's the classic ad hominem fallacy. And I think we see it quite a lot. And it's a natural human thing to do. If you have a core value that you really believe in, like the mission, when it's threatened, or your identity, when it's threatened, you have to push back. And I think, I think part of our education needs to be, don't push back, actually hold the hand. Yeah, embrace Have everything. a conversation. And you might say, thanks, I think you're wrong. In fact, I think you're a bad person. I'm sorry, I'm not a bad person. Well, they may be a bad person. But I think your view is wrong. I think it's profoundly mistaken. And actually, I think it's immoral. But I respect your right to say it. Yeah. And you deserve a response. And the, the real key reason is, if you, if you don't do that, what you are saying is, Nick, the school gets the right to decide what can be said. Now, that's a dangerous position. Yeah, for sure. That's a dangerous position. Now, I, I like to think we say the right things. But I've got no monopoly on truth. I'll get loads of things wrong. And even if I don't, the next person will, or the person after them. I, I remember very, I've got a few books on this actually. There was a very good book at, at the beginning of it. The guy talks about Ayatollah Khomeini, who was one of the hardliners in Iran. Lots of people killed under him. And so the interviewer said to him, so tell me about your career. You know, um, what would you like to say? He, says, he said something like, I can't, I can't remember the exact quote. Over my years as a leader in government making decisions, one thing I'm sure about, I never made any mistakes. Nick, that's dangerous. The man who is so certain, and in his case, probably that he had contact to God or whatever it might be, he's so certain he never makes any mistakes. Why would he care about anybody? He's right. So the other opinions are wrong. You know, there's no need to think about it. And everything he does is justified. Well, that's the road to megalomania. That's just a bad place to be. So I would actually say, in the big picture, it is absolutely critical that we have a diverse range of voices. And I don't think there are any opinions that I would shut down. Now, there's a little caveat to that. You know, the classic example people talk about is you can't shout out fire in a crowded cinema, because, you know, the, the crush yeah. will kill. You know, there is an, if I say something really offensive, you know, this ethnic, ethnic group, um, are, are inferior, are cockroaches, need to be exterminated. That's so close to an actual call for violence. I think there may be some 
there may be some grey area there. Yeah. But any viewer that I find offensive, like, you know, we should be tough on immigration, we should cut welfare, I mean, you know, abortion is, is, should be banned. Any, any concert, I'll just call it loosely conservative view, but which is not an actual call to violence, I think they should be, I think they should be free to say it. So I would have them in the community. I think a small number, how big I don't know, but that should be welcomed. I think it'll actually make us stronger. Okay, thanks a lot. That was really insightful. Um, any, any last words, any closing statement? To the uh, viewers? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think this is, a, this is a really important idea. It's actually an idea whose time has come. Uh, you know, the idea of how much does liberal society tolerate illiberalism? It's a fundamental paradox at the heart of it. Um, I think Karl Popper has this paradox of intolerance where he says that if there's too much intolerance in a tolerant society, it inevitably leads to it being a non-tolerant yeah, society. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so I, mean, I don't think there's any solution. I think the only, solu the only way to deal with this issue is to have good people aware that what looks attractive, don't be tolerant of bad ideas, is actually a bit of a red herring. It's like science. You know in science you do too, okay? You have an idea, you don't just dismiss it, you test it. Yeah. You engage with it. You don't you don't say, oh, oh I didn't like that. Boom. You you have to you have to explore it. I think it's the same principle. So I think if if you can if you you know if the people listening reflect on on the fact that there is an element of sort of what's the word I'm looking for? There's an integrity about science that gets to the truth. Now, in politics, you can, it's not the same. You'll never get to the truth. But you have to have the same integrity. You have to have the willingness to test it. Then I think, I think that's a useful, a useful way of thinking hey, about it. Thank you so much.